the only way to score is of course to play uh, with a handbrake off. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This is the first episode of Handbrake Off, a new Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Joining me are uh, in the studio are two of The Athletic's writers covering all things Arsenal every week, Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas, also known as Gunner Blog. Uh, good afternoon, chaps. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, James. And also, by the way, on the line, uh, we have uh, Mr. Lee Dixon. Hello, Lee. Ah, I got you there. I thought you'd gone, didn't you? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lee, you wag you. Hello, how Lee. Are, how are you, people? We're doing okay. Well, the thing is, see, what we wanted to do... I mean, listen, first of all, I should uh, uh, we should sort of give our credentials for being here, right? Uh, so, so, Amy, I'm going to ask you first. Give us a short answer as to why you should be sitting in that chair talking about the Arsenal. Oh, wow. Um, that I used to work in the Gunners shop... The original one uh, that was just next to the entrances to the clock end yeah. of Highbury, which was about the size of a sort of local chippy or something compared yeah. to today's mega stores. Um, and one day George Graham came in, this is a true story, um, in the summer. And it shows how much football's changed. The manager would not just pop into the shop with the sole <laughs> purpose of just saying hi to the people who worked there, making sure he knew who everybody was. Wow. Um, and an ice cream van came past. And uh, he said, come on, girls, let's buy you an ice cream. And we all went, ran out of the shop and left it, abandoned it, abandoned all the merchandise. George Graham bought George you an ice cream. bought us all an ice cream and that'll be my credentials. Outstanding. <laughs> James, bad. it's quite Fantastic. a big one at the top, isn't it, really? Yeah, I don't really know how you follow that. Uh, what I was going to say is I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'm an eternal optimist. And in August 2011, I was so excited about the signing of Park Chu Young that I bought a replica South Korea kit with his name on the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh God, I, I, that's better than my story. No, it isn't. It. <laughs> I'm not sure whether it'd be impressed or not. Part bench, as we all came to know him as. Um, uh, but, Lee Dixon, what have you ever done for Arsenal? I'm here because um, George Graham has never bought me an ice cream. <laughs> not <laughs> even when you kept a clean sheet. He went, there you this, go, son. This is, a, this is a request to George if he's listening. No doubt he's listening to this. He listens to everybody's podcast, so... Please, George, buy me an ice cream. How very, very nice. With a flake. How not with a flake? (laughs) Okay, fair enough. With a flake, if you're listening, George. Anyway, we're talking... The thing is, when we discussed doing this podcast, and we discussed this a couple of weeks ago, we thought we don't want to just be reactive. We want to do something a bit more of an overview, Mm. right? Because we're doing it for the Athletic, uh, and they do take more of an overview. They, They don't tend to just react to the games. The trouble is, of course that what we've seen on Saturday is really all that anyone can think about. So obviously I want to get into that. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the big important stuff. Sir Chips Keswick. (laughs) Very, very important. Sir Chips Chips Keswick, we don't know what's going to happen with him. Do you think the board are going to have to, do you think they'll manage without him? We have to change formation a little bit, you know. It's a, a bit weird like situation, Jacker, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's a bit of a weird situation because we've got a split board, basically. We've got that old school Arsenal characters like Chips Keswick, Ken Fryer, all that. And then we've got this new executive team, people like Raul Sinehi, you know, Edu and people like that. And it just feels like those are clearly pulling it apart. It's pull, coming apart at the seams at board level. It's a real concern. I mean, look, 
I don't think any fans are that bothered about Sir Chips really and what happens to him. But it feels so emblematic, doesn't it, that the old Arsenal and the new Arsenal seem to be sort of tearing themselves apart a bit. I think when you talk about a split board, that's not quite how it is. I mean, the board still exists per se, but it's just ignored. Um, mm. It's not mm. an entity that actually has any kind of power or say in any way that the club is run. So you do have um, people with uh, a lot of heritage of being around the club and having seen a lot of things happen to the club over sort of you know, 50, 60 years or more, even in the case of Ken Fryer. And, and yet they are basically there as, as a sort of figure, paying respect to the figureheads of old. Let's just say, for example... I don't know, you've got a manager in who's replaced a legend and it's going really badly. Let's just think about Bruce Rioch for a minute, right? (laughs) Um, In those days, the Arsenal board was a a bunch of guys who were local people who had grown up with the club and who went to every single Arsenal event that existed, be that the youth team, be that the first team, be that anywhere in the world. And they would sit collectively and make decisions and thrash things out and try to do their best for the club. And they were directly involved and they cared. And if you're a a major company would have a board and that, that board's job is to actually crisis manage or when things are going well to, to make sure that the the place is, is going to continue going well. But the Arsenal's board is just there because it was historically there, but it, it, it doesn't do anything. So, all the um, decision-making now lies with the Football Executive com- oh. Committee, who have nothing to do with all those old ideas and that history and come at it from a different view. And so if, in the case of Sir Chips, I think what's happened is he would like to regard himself as being able to take part in the conversation as they did with deciding to get rid of Bruce Rioch after yeah. a year, which was controversial because Arsenal didn't really sack managers and bring in Arsene Wenger, this guy that nobody had ever heard of. And that they're not in the conversation. It's not happening so now. they they didn't want to be necessarily associated with the current problems. So that's where we are. Lee, when you were a player, did you really speak to the board ever? Did you know who they were? Did they chat to you? Yeah, well, I mean, we were they were kind of in in the Ivory Towers above Highbury somewhere that we never never really <laughs> got invited to. The boardroom was this mysterious place with that I kind of looked through the crack of the door once when I was doing a, a contract with <laughs> Ken Fryer and he sort of let me have a look through the, the crack of a door and I saw a load of chairs and it looked really impressive. A load <laughs> of chairs, eh? Wow. <laughs> um, but so, the, and, and we did see the directors. They used to come to the games and as Amy said, it was it, they were pretty hands-on. So you kind of got to know them um, in our environment, but not necessarily in theirs, in the boardroom. So they'd come down and... The odd one would shake a hand at, uh, before the game and, and Ken Fryer was always pretty prominent and, uh, yeah. and David Dean was always knocking about and obviously Peter Hillwood would, would come to the games and wouldn't be there every week, but we'd see a little bit of him. So there was an essence of what the board was all about. I mean, now I had no clue about the board and the relationship between the board and the exec committee. So, and all I know is, which made me really sad at the weekend, which I didn't realise would make me as sad as it is now, because I was talking to Kelly Dalgleish. I said, does your dad still go to all the games and everything? Because he was doing the game. And she, she went, yeah. I said, "He's on. is he on the board? He said, yeah, Sir Kenny Dalgleish is on the board at Liverpool. So that kind of made me sad, because I think they've yeah. got Sir Kenny Dalgleish 
who do we have? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that old board, for a long time, after David Dean left, the criticism was there aren't enough football people there. And now we've populated this club with football people. Yeah, you know, now. Raul he's come from Barcelona. He's got a track record there. Edu, of course, we all know. Per Mersacker's in there as well as the head of the academy. We have got those football people there, but it just seems a shame that in order to have that, it feels like we've sort of sacrificed that historical part. You know, that legacy part of it is no longer really a presence. Let's not forget, by the way, Sir Chips Keswick was the one who said thank you for taking an interest in our affairs, right? Wasn't that him? It was indeed. Yeah. It was him, right? So, if I mean, this is not the sort of connection, this is not the sort of person, <laughs> if you like. He, he doesn't feel like he really cares about what the fans think. Not, Does he? Does not necessarily, but he cares about the club. If you look back historically, Peter Hillwood was cut very much from the same cloth and could be, although with a, with a sort of very unique sense of humour, mm. quite disdainful of, of the supporters as well. I mean, he used to go along to the AGMs and some, you know, we were almost waiting for the moment when he'd put his, his foot in his mouth. Right. And, But I think in terms of this concept of being custodians of the that's club, it. that's what it represents. Custodianship. And it's kind of, it's the, it's the fact that the custodianship is, is uh, eliminated or being eroded and replaced by the new situation where the owner of the club is to all intents and purposes, mostly absentee and has people in place, either with his son or the people that are here in the executive committee to run the club. And I think as fans, you're you're much more removed from being able to influence how they they might act. It does it does feel that way, Lee. I mean, listen, we're going to talk uh, we're going to talk about the state of the club, Lee. Arsenal, by the way, had some stats. They've, there's been 221 shots so far. I reckon for that entire season, you're in that defence. You didn't let have let them have 221 shots. 221 shots. That's a you know at least a year's wages to George <laughs> Graham as a fine if we'd got anywhere near that <laughs> so uh, those figures don't make any sense to me and the figures that are coming out you know now at the weekend you know 21 shots at goal and 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 against Villa at home I mean you can go you can go on and on so it, it's quite hard reading and I've heard a lot of people talking about we need this we need a defense we need this we need a defensive mentality and the whole team as a whole needs to be in a position where we can keep the ball away from our goal. It's not just the defenders. I can't say I feel sorry for him because I don't. But there's a little bit too much emphasis on the back four for my liking because it's it's what's going on ahead of that. It's it's utterly shambolic what's going on when we when we don't have the ball, regardless of where the ball is on the pitch. We just we've got no clue about where to close down, when to close down, what the trigger is for people to be released to close down. It it, it honestly looks like a bunch of schoolboys. And that's that's been the same now for quite a long time. And that's that's for me the single most worrying thing about this season and because this it has it has to be boiled down to this season because we, you know you, you get a year's grace you're putting your ideas over yeah. you're trying to create an environment where the players learn and understand what you want from them as a manager and then you know after a year you should be pretty much right we know what we're doing this group of players every single time they go out on the pitch don't to me look like they know what they're doing. And with the ball, it's it's quite off the cuff, and we we've got talented footballers that will score goals. That can get better. There's no doubt about that. But that's the least of our problems. It's when we don't have the ball. It's we turn into a, a, a eleven individuals who decide if they want to run towards the ball and close it down or not, and they're all doing it at different times. That will never bring you. A success in a in a in a period of of, uh, of games, you might get the odd one where you forward score more, 
and you win three two at home against Villa. But ultimately, <laughs> you're, you're going to end yeah. up you're going to end up losing more games than you're winning. And this this club and the team has got to be, and the manager and the players and the coaches have all got to be made accountable. Lee, when you talk about this this defensive mentality that's kind of absent, almost kind of in chaos. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking, if at some point one day somebody else comes in to take care of this group of players. Like tomorrow. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> or yesterday, depends when this goes out. <laughs> but how how realistically soon can someone else who's got different ideas or different ways of communicating it effect change there? You could pretty much start the process, I, I believe, um, straight away because the players that we're all talking about, and, it's, and predominantly all of them, they're not bad players, they're good players. If you give instruction and direction to a, to a good player, you will get a response from him. If you say, to, for instance, let me use Xhaka as an, ex, as, as an example. We can talk all day about him, um, but let's just take him as a player. For me, you know, he's a good player. He's not the best midfield player we've ever had by, by, by a long shot. He's an international footballer who's played a lot of football. He's experienced. He, whether you like the way he plays, whether you think he's a shirker of responsibility or you think he's just not very good, which I don't think that's the case, or you've got another opinion on me. If you came into that club now and he was your only midfield player, the only player you could play as a holding midfield player, <laughs> then the first day you go and you get your two centre-halves, whoever they are, and we're going to centre, we can talk all day about them as well. But we get two centre-halves and we get a holding midfield player and you take them on a training pitch day one and you say, I don't want you more than 20 yards apart from each other and, and form a triangle in the middle of the pitch, wherever the wherever the middle of the pitch is, whether it's on the halfway line, in front of your back four, in, on the 18-yard line, wherever it is, you two, you three are in a triangle and you don't move. Uh, if you just did that one thing, yeah. then that, we would improve. That we is, would improve. That's absolutely that's spot on. And one of the things that's most baffling to me about Emery is that in Lucas Torreira, right, never mind Shaka, he's got a player who plays that role internationally nice. for Uruguay, <laughs> played yeah. it in Italy, wants to play at Arsenal, has made that pretty public, and yet there he is bombing forward week after week when we need someone there who can bring that structure and safeguard the defence a bit. So it, it, it blows my mind. Well, really. we're going to get we're going to get on to the managerial decisions, but I'm sort of interested, Lee. You defended properly. I was watching Sheffield United, by the way, yesterday. Oh yeah. And the way and I know Man United scored three goals, but I like the way Sheffield United defend. I like the way they defend as a team. And it seems to me that they 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 care about each other and rely on each other and help each other. And, and it's almost the opposite of the way the Arsenal team are. It does feel like 11 individuals who've met in the car park on the way in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? You come from Uruguay? All right, I've, I've heard that's yeah. nice. And then in they go and they get their shirts and they start playing. So yeah. did the team that you played in, did it defend the way it did because you cared about the, the people who were next to you and you didn't want to let them down? Is that what it's about? Well, it, it, it started a long time ago and we, we were basically thrown together by George and we were drilled day in, day out, day in, day out. If you, if you gave all our defenders and say Torreira and Xhaka to George Graham for a month, yeah. boom. The first goal, the Southampton, the first goal we gave away and it was a highlighted on match of the day. And it was, you know, when they took the free, quick free kick, we had six players in a line all looking. At div the damage had already been done before that. You know, they, they highlighted it on match of the day. What they, sh what they should have done was 
just re round the tape a little bit to to the to the bit of action before that. And what happened was the ball was on the right hand side and it started to come across the pitch. And Chambers came over to the right hand side. We're obviously playing three centre backs, so Bellerin's pushed in. As he as Chambers comes over, David Luiz, who's got old of Ings, David Luiz decides on his own by himself with no reason whatsoever. Danny Ings starts to move over to the to the inside left position. He try he, he steps up and, and starts playing in front of him to go. Oh, if he plays it to him, he's offside. Yeah. What he what he doesn't realise is which he should do because he's an you know he's been around a long time he should think or he might just take it for granted that my other centre half Socrates and uh, Tierney are, are ahead of me so I'm the last man well that wasn't the case because pair of them were both behind him so if the ball had gone to Ings he would have been onside so what so what does Luis do he he doesn't get the ball and he carries on staying in front of him staying in front of him just in case they play it to him and he's offside well no. Your other two behind you are still playing him on side. When they eventually give the foul away, he then turns round and looks at his two defenders behind him to say, were you up with me there or were you? That's why he's turning around. And then everyone else turns around and then you get that line with all six of them in a thing, which yeah. by that time, the damage has been done. So the, you could go on and on and on. But the point, the point I'm trying to make is, there was no drilling in that back line no. whatsoever. Tierney had dropped off really deep. So at some point on, on the training pitch, the manager has not said to him, right, as a, as a fullback, me, mine and Nigel's jobs was to stay in front of our centre-halves at, at all times. Yeah. So if they play offside, it, they're the ones playing offside, not the last man, the fullback, I A T in it. Nobody said that to him, so he's dropping off. Socrates has got a mind of his own. He, you know, he sees a ball, he runs after it and Socrates. gets it like a bull in a china shop. But yeah. if that's not the remit for the particular move, he's got no clue where he's going. So you've got David Luiz who's who's playing on his own and the other two not really knowing, and then it all falls down. So they, they haven't been drilled, they don't know what they're doing, and that's just one example of defending. We knew exactly where we should be wherever the ball was at any one moment in the game. Yeah. And if you didn't do, then you'd get a big stick on the back of your leg going, don't do it again, you naughty boy. And so next time it happens, you make sure that you don't want that George Graham stick on the back of your leg. You make sure you're in the right position. That's coaching. The point is you have to know your job. And every single one of them, and I'm including now the midfield players, where you quite rightly pointed out, James, about Torreira. I watched him at the World Cup for all their qualifying yeah. games and he was the man of the match every every game. He was brilliant. He just sat there, he swept up, he took a, the ball off the centre-backs, he played it in midfield, he, he covered, he uh, supported from behind, never saw him really go over the halfway line and really want to be in that position. And he was brilliant. Why, why isn't he doing that from, you know, a manager, an international class manager as such, in, in Unai Emery, go, well, that's what he's good at. Why don't I... Just fill the middle of the pitch, for God's sake. Really, it's really winding me up now. No, Lee, we're all feeling the same way. And, and I want to talk about the manager because, I mean, listen, he's the manager at the moment. Mm. As we're recording this at whatever it is, almost two on the Monday, uh, right now he's the manager. I know they're talking about possibly looking at replacements and we can get to them a bit later on. But when you talk, Lee, about fear and about the fact that you were scared of Jules Graham, has anyone been scared of Unai Emery ever? I mean, as anyone, because it seems to me like those players are not fearful of the consequences if they make a mistake. No, I think, if anything, it feels like 
there's almost too much fear and inhibition in the team. It's like there's such a focus on uh, there's such a focus on the opposition. They're drilled so you know they've got drilled into them. This is what to look out for in the opposition. They're focused on their game and it inhibits us. That's what it looks like to me, anyway. Yeah, they do look fearful. You'd agree, Amy. I'm, I'm assuming. Well, somebody sent me a, a message. Um, do you ever remember a time ever? when Arsenal have so consistently paid the opposition too much respect. Yeah. And that really struck me. And I thought it feels like virtually every game of season, doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter who the opposition is, that they're sent out in a manner, whether that's kind of a spirit manner or whether that's actually a formation and strategy manner, where they're giving too much respect to the opponent. Lee, Lee, I mean, you saw the you saw the uh, the team selection on Saturday. Five defenders, two holding midfield players, Özil, Lacazette, and Aubameyang. Against a team who's nineteenth in the league. Exactly. I mean, it, it, doesn't that get in the players' heads? Even stuff like that. We're in the position where the players are fearful. We've gone past the bit of um, going into a game with a game plan, knowing what we're doing. We're really confident because we're good players. We've gone past that because we're now in the, they're scared of the fans, they're scared of their own performances. Yeah. They, they, they still don't know what they're doing. So where it's all fallen down is the fact that there's no clear game plan from the minute. The tactics for me all season have been wrong. I always keep going back to the Watford game. The whole season is, is in that one half of football in the second half. You can see what we're all about. Loads of people getting forward, trying to score goals. Nobody in midfield, trying to play out from the back when we're no good at it and um, getting hit on the break. It's all encapsulated in 45 minutes of football. And you you can pull nearly every clip out of that second half and go... Yeah, wrong tactics. Why are they playing with a narrow midfield when they've got their best player was Dulafeu and Holabas on the left wing? And I felt sorry for Maitland now as a right back. He got absolutely crucified, left, right, and centre by two v one for the whole of that yeah. game. And and he was ten yards away from Emery, who was standing on the sideline and watching it, and he did nothing about it. And then. When he made his substitutions, I was doing the commentary. I went, oh, well, you know, at least he'll change the system now and he maybe go to five in midfield because they're under a bit of pressure. They're two nil up. And then he keeps the same formation, a narrow midfield when we, when their yeah. strengths are on the wings. And I was like, Has he not, I don't understand what, I honestly don't understand what's going through his mind. So I think, and it's not a great thing to be when you're the manager, but he looks like he's caught in the headlights. Yeah. He looks like he's got no way of getting himself out of this Lee if you're a it's probably a difficult question but if you're a player in a, in a dressing room like that it, it, on a training pitch like that with a manager that maybe you're not believing in anymore and there's a lot of pressure around what are you thinking what are you feeling like what are these what what should the players be doing or what what are, what's going through their mind at the moment ultimately as a player you're always there's always a manager above you or a coach and you have to be respectful of that and so when it's, but I'll give you Bruce Rioch as an example you know that season he changed the system he made his, you know he, he played with three at the back me and Nigel were wing backs it was a horrific season for me because I, I was just running up and down like an idiot on the, on the wing and didn't really know what I was doing and never really felt comfortable playing wing back there was times during that season where we we were setting out and we were going really is this really the right system yeah. and, and and as and, and as senior players or players who've been at the club for a while you start to air your opinions and I had many a chat with him about formations and said I don't really think this suits us but ultimately the book stands with him I don't necessarily think those conversations are going on between the players and Emery I just don't think that this bunch of players 
has that confidence in themselves to be able to go, do you know what? This isn't right. We need to change this. We need to see if the manager is happy to change the situation or I don't think those conversations are going on. I think they're just kind of going, let's go out and do our best, but we're rudderless. We don't really know what we're doing, and let's just hope Aubameyang or Lacazette gets a goal. That's yeah. how we see him at the moment. That does that does seem to be the plan. And one more thing for, before we let you go, Lee, the fans... Do we yeah. have an obligation to stop moaning? The players, they're a bit inhibited anyway by the manager and then they come out and the first time they mess up, the fans are on their back and mm. and and you think that can't help. But at the same time, we're also angry and frustrated. Do you think we yeah. have to cut that out? No, I, listen, it's not the first time that an Arsenal team's been been got stick from the fans and booed and why. I, we went through a period in the mid-90s where... You know, you put one ball out of play and the the fans just go, oh, rubbish, because we've won the league twice and why are we now rubbish and we're not only cup team and yeah. get off dicks and you're rubbish. And, yeah, sorry about that. You, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> As a player, you have to go through, you you will go through periods like that and you have to be able to, you know, what went on with Xhaka was unfortunate and it, and it sh- you know, he shouldn't have reacted like that. And, and on, from a player's point of view, you can say, well, just give us a bit of support, but... It's not like that. Football's a passionate game and, and you, you as a player, part, there's loads of things make a good player and it's keepy-ups, how many headers you can do, what's your vision like, what's your passing like, what's your ability to control the ball and some players are better at other things than, than others. But there's also a part of playing at a big club at, at, like Arsenal that you've got to be able to cope with pressure and that's either oh, we're, we're second in the league, we're going to win the league, Liverpool are chasing us, or Man United are chasing us. Can we play our normal game under that pressure? That's yeah. part of being a big player as well. But there's also the other side of it when you're getting stick. And you've got to be able to be able to still perform, still not hide, still be brave, brave by accepting the ball under difficult... You know, we all want to kick the ball away and give it to someone else when we're under the cosh from the fans. And I've been there, I know exactly what it's like. And you've just got to go, this is part of me as a as a top-level athlete. I have got to deal with this. But ultimately, th- that it's because the fans care and they want the best. And the players care. Some, play, some care more than others. Some show it more than others. Um, and at times like this, when it's when you're really up against it, where it where it really matters is the ability, and this is what team spirit is in a nutshell. Team spirit is being able to give advice, give someone a telling off, tell someone they're not doing it, and the and the the team spirit comes from the the, the other person accepting that, taking it on board because it's done to try and improve you as a player and improve the team. It's not going out at Christmas and high fiving and going playing golf together. That's another thing. Team spirit is being able to take criticism from your teammates. I don't see enough telling off and 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 telling other people that you've done something bad when a goal goes in. We're the quietest team ever when a goal goes in. That tells me everything about this team. I think we've depressed you for the rest of Monday, Lee. I do apologise. By the way, before we let you go also, what if you got stuck in the, in the lift going up to the exec level with Stan Kroenke, what would you say to him? I'd say to him, why didn't you say hello to me and shake my hand in the director's box when he got introduced to me and he just carried on eating his soup? Boom. That's what I'd say to him. Boom. And that's fair enough, you see. Stan, would he wouldn't like that at all, would he? Uh, Lee, lovely to talk to you. Thank you. We're gonna, uh, Lee's going to be on fairly regularly, I believe. No, nice to speak to you, Lee. Cheers, Lee. See you next week. See you, See you next week. That's uh, Mr. Lee Dixon there. 
I can't believe he had his um, he, he had his soup and uh, he wouldn't even say hello to uh, he just Must carried on eating soup, his soup because eh? it's very hard to get to Stan Cronkia very few people none shall come to the Lord except through me and the me is of course Josh Cronkia right <laughs> and so what would you say to Stan if you got stuck in a lift it was just you and him I'd have to ask him what was in the soup for yeah. a start. That'd yeah. be the first question. And then after that, <laughs> I'd want to know like how much he knows for a start. Do you know what I mean? Like how attached he is to the club. Like does he how close is he following it? Who scored the goal in the 1971 Cup final? Was it Eddie Kelly? Was I, it Jules Graham? I don't blame him for <laughs> that, not knowing that. Let's have a quiz. <laughs> 20 questions. <laughs> but I'm speaking really of stuff. a player, Stan. No, but that's <laughs> the sort got of 20 stuff. Questions. I think it's important, that mm. stuff, that, that, that you, you know about the club, the fabric of the club. You care. I think you're right, but I, I wouldn't sort of be too critical of him for not knowing all the history. It'd be more the contemporary stuff, you know, how engaged is he? Like when he hit, when those chants happen, as they did at the weekend, about the manager, does that impact upon him? Does he hear it? Does he recognise it? Does he know what that implies and, and means? Amy? Well, one of the things that, um, you know, the executive committee at the moment is coming in for a bit of heat. And when they first sort of came into the scene, when Ivan Gazidis took the decision to to uh, 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 go to Italy. It was actually very refreshing that Raoul and Vinay made quite an effort in those early days, I think, to be more open, to be more engaged, to make a, 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 an impression that they were trying to show the fans that there was a, you know, that they were trying to open the doors a little bit. We and, care. And we care. That was the that was a thing in their thinking, and I think it was genuine. Mm. One, of, one of the times that we we got the first times we got to meet them, they let on that they had a WhatsApp group with the Cronkies, which I thought was a fantastic. The idea that they'd be sitting there at, at the game here in London and and WhatsApping uh, Stan. Well, Stan, uh, what's the score? You know exactly. So and so is just Mr. Sitter. You know, oh god, etc. Um, Sad face emoji. Yeah. The fans have booed off what? <laughs> well, Who? But I do think I do think that it's naive to, to imagine that he's not aware of things that are going on. How much in his portfolio of things that he's interested in yeah. he, he prioritizes or doesn't prioritise Arsenal's stuff compared to everything else he's is a question five. that I wouldn't wouldn't know at all. But I don't think he's quite the image that people have that he's bought this club and he's uh, you know he turns up occasionally because he sort of ought to and eats his soup um and while and ignoring <laughs> club legends it's outrageous i think it's a really complicated one where part of him doesn't really understand why he's supposed to be a figurehead like mm. if you're the owner and you've got mm. the money, I, I think there's a cultural thing that, that's going on as well. It's a bit different to do with American models of ownership American... and British models of, of ownership. Hang on, hang on, Amy. John Henry at, yes, at Liverpool I... is doing a fine job of being a figurehead. So it's not about the Americans. They... Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I know. I'm just saying in general. I'm not talking about sort of specifics. And you've got different kind of spectrum within that. Yeah. But I just think I remember he, when he first came to speak at the AGM, and he didn't speak for the first few while he was on the board. Silent Stan. And then eventually he was persuaded to say a few words and he stood there and said, well, I don't really know why you want to hear from me. And it what? was quite weird because mm. it was, and I think that was genuine. He didn't really get why he should be talking to to shareholders at the AGM. Yeah. He doesn't like shareholders, does he? I mean, there are <laughs> well, none there are, now. But Let's be fair. Right. I mean, it's just changed. him. It's just him. Um, but, but anyway, going back to your point, I, I, I think, you know, if you're in the lift with him saying... Yeah. Uh, okay, you know how how engaged are you? It's a really really pertinent question, mm. and I think Wally and you say the history doesn't matter. I think it does because the time that he's been involved in the club, 
the success that he has personally at first-hand witnessed has been three FA Cups. Mm, he's, he's also experienced some decline and, and a lot of mediocrity. If you were stuck in this lift for a really long time, like it was unfixable, you know, and you've got enough time to make him sit and watch the Vittorio Guimarães away game on a loop, yeah, you know, till you're, it's like some kind of Chinese water torture, you yeah, know? and then compare that with okay, let's just watch some highlights from the Invincible season. Is Real Madrid you away? Know, uh, yeah, exactly. Any of those? And and you know, just. Just look at the contrast. Look at where this club was not that long ago and look at where we are. Come and, on, man. And look at the engagement of the fans because I've got to be honest with you, when that goal went in the 96th minute, I've never seen a stadium not celebrate an Arsenal equaliser in the last minute. Now, is this because, and we have this, it's sort of been the elephant in the room, Unai Emery, all this time because we haven't really talked about him, but is this because... Um, not only the fans, but Lacazette as well. When he scored that goal, went, oh dear, I've saved his job. Is that what happened there? I mean, it, look, we can't, we're guessing, aren't we, at their totally. intentions, but it, it was bizarre. I've never seen anything quite like yeah. it. I was in my seat behind that goal and I found myself looking at officials thinking, oh, is a flag up? Because no one was really celebrating. <laughs> is this VAR then? Is this what this is? Well, maybe it's a VAR thing, maybe, we're just waiting. I think that was a, an ingredient because we'd had a long way earlier in the game, hadn't yeah. we, around the penalty. But yeah, I do think that a lot of supporters probably had that slight deflation of, you know, it felt like it was maybe going to come to a head with a defeat and then a draw, well, maybe that perpetuates what's, you know, the status quo. But yeah, it was a really, really odd scenario and... That's not what you want, is it? As a fan of your team, a last-minute oh. equaliser, a 96th minute, Great. play should have been going bananas. Yeah, quite. And and so it, this comes to the wider point. They've said that he's got about four games to save his job. I mean, this is the point they made, right? Southampton, Norwich, Frankfurt, Brighton, maybe West Ham. And if we can't get a number of points from them. But at this, surely they must have made up their minds already and they're just waiting until they get the person they want to get. I just think you listened to everything that Lee Dixon said. And, you know, you, it, it's absolutely self-evident when you analyse almost any single stat, never mind putting like 20 extremely um, disillusioning stats all together, which you can do when you look at Arsenal's place in the t- table, Arsenal's... I mean, the minus goal difference is just unbelievable yeah. to me. There's really no justification for for, for continuing this idea that it might change. Even if, by some miracle, Arsenal get some good results over the next three or four games against supposedly similar level of, like, OK opponents to the last six or eight games, we all know what's coming up sort of in December and early January. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just very, very difficult to imagine that going well under the current situation. So why not at least give someone a chance to change the situation so when those games get tougher... There's at least a half chance if you've got Lucas Torreira and two defenders and said you stay in a triangle 20 yards apart, or for example, as Lee suggested, you might be seeing some slightly different outcomes. Assuming that we're going to get rid of Unai Emery, who do you want as a new manager? That's a difficult one, isn't is it? it? Is it that difficult? Well, who do you want? Well, I wanted Mourinho, but he's not happening. Oh, I did. And I know it wound you two up, but you know what? Look at the bounce Tottenham have had. <laughs> yeah, I guess oh, one joking. game. I'm joking. I'm 100% record. 100% record. <laughs> Look how happy they all are. I think that, to a certain extent, all managerial appointments are kind of reactions to whoever was there before. And I think you see that with Wenger to Emery. Wenger, I think if he was criticised for anything, it was that maybe he didn't show the opposition enough respect at times. Now we've got a manager who shows too much respect to the opposition. I think if we make the next appointment, it'll be someone you know a bit more in line with 
what we would identify sort of the Arsenal oh, idea what, of playing what, football. What no, is that? I, I, that I is attractive that is. attacking football. Not when me and Amy started watching it, wasn't that attractive That's or attacking, but it was great. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Okay, but I remember one nil at the Arsenal, and I loved it, by the way. I absolutely loved it. If you haven't experienced it, 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 was, it, was, a ba- it was badge of honour stuff. It was, we nick a goal, we're winning this. And yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was, it was it. absolutely fantastic, in a different way. But go oh, on, who's oh, your man? Anyway, James. yeah, you haven't said, by the way, you've, you've <laughs> artfully avoided the answer to that question. I'm going to pick Mikel Arteta, who's oh, never managed a game. Like it, like it. What about you, Amy? Patrick Vieira. Yeah, I who like has managed well. a game? He's managed for about five years at a, at a you know a reasonably stressful level where you're under scrutiny. If ever there's a guy who's got the capacity to come in and unify the fan base, and I think he'd be able to connect mm. and inspire a group of players quite quickly, change the mood overnight. And he's not never managed a game before. I, I can't really see why it wouldn't be a, a sensible. Attempt. She makes a very good point. I quite like Mikel Arteta myself because he's got absolutely excellent hair. <laughs> <laughs> he has got excellent hair. I mean, it's just beautiful hair. Very well groomed, doesn't it? Even if there was a hurricane, you'd imagine he'd come out the other side with the hair in exactly the same place. Also, by the way, he has he's been tutored, if you like, by one of the great managers of all time in Pep. And I don't think that's bad. Plus, he knows the club and he would know quite a lot of the players and the feeling in the club. It worked for Frank Lampard. I understand that he managed in the, um, or it's worked so far. He managed, I'd like Arteta to have had a, a year in the championship before he started. And I guess it's what you're talking about, Patrick Vieira. He's had a couple of years managing in France and he's done all that. But um, you know what? What we want, I think we're agreed, is someone else. Yes? Yeah, that Anyone, nice. any of us in the room, I'd, I'd give it to one of my children, even the one who doesn't like football. Do you know what? The Arsenal way, I can't get my head round it. I mean, I, I still. All the clubs talk about this. Yeah, yeah. The Man United way. West Ham. West Ham. They all do it. The science, the school of science and all that stuff. Is Arsenal about entertaining football at the moment? I just want us to win. That's interesting. I, for me, it's just the case that Arsene Wenger, when he came in, I know it's 24 years ago now, wherever it is, he did change the culture of this club. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about Arsenal values or Arsenal identity, I think we're actually talking about Arsene values or Arsene yeah. identity. But I don't think that's inherently a bad thing to sort of turn away from that. And I feel that there has been a disconnect between Emery and the fans about just the style of football that he plays. And yeah. I think they want to put that right with the next appointment. As we're coming to the end uh, of 2019, and indeed the decade, um, and the Athletic have been choosing teams of the decade, so uh, we decided to get to have a little think about it, didn't we, really? You've been choosing your teams of the decade. When I started doing it, I just thought, oh, God, compared to any previous <laughs> decades, running back quite a little bit, it would have been, I think, perhaps a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, and goalkeeper was uh, exactly case in point. I felt like Arsenal had two great goalkeepers but not at the right time mm-hmm. so they had the worst half of the decade of Petr Cech and the worst half of the decade of Wojciech Szczesny and we don't really don't need to talk about the rest Fabianski's um, good now I'd have him now again we had him at the wrong time in the end uh, I felt obli- there was not a lot in it but I felt probably just about obliged to pick Petr Cech I, I think they, I think it was his first season or maybe his second season where he kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League he won the Golden Glove. I think he shared it with Chesney, bizarrely. One really? Year, when when he was with Chelsea and Chesney had it for Arsenal, which was even oh, stranger. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, fair but, enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a huge amount to choose from. No, but, no it's uh, not great. <laughs> OK, who's the defence, James? Have you got a defence? Yeah, it's Amy's team. So I was a consultant, though, I'd like to say. Oh, OK. Uh, Bakary Sanya, right back. Yeah. No, Nacho Monreal, left back. Really? 
Who else you got? Who else do you want? I don't know. Someone else. We did someone, think about this. <laughs> someone out of position. It's Monreal or Clichy, so it's Monreal all day uh, for me. Koscielny uh. and Mertzaka centre-half. I mean, that's the only decent centre-half partnership we've had in that decade, I think. Does it get better, this team? Is it going further forward? <laughs> it does, well, the, actually, the, like the, all Arsenal teams. The, the midfield is 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 classic, really, uh, Arsenal of this decade. Um, Kazola and, and Aaron Ramsey as the, as the two, um, who are both phenomenal players, I think, for, for Arsenal. And I think when you look at the mess of the current midfield and the fact that it's kind of the, the axis of kind of total confusion of, of, of this team, it, it feels sad to think about players of that kind who, who they can't call upon. Fabregas was a contender, but he only really played for a season at the very start of the decade. So yeah. for the longevity of the others, that's why they got favoured. But as, a, as, a, as yeah. a player, Fabregas was one of the best midfielders I ever saw play for us. Love watching him play. But Cazorla was great, and it's such a shame what happened to him with the injury, but he's mm. still doing the business, isn't he? We're watching him every so often. People post highlights on Twitter, and it just makes me weep mm. when I can see those 60-yard passes with either foot. When he took, Remember when he took the corner? When he was going to take it right-footed and then somebody went, oh, no, and he just switched and took it left-foot. And I thought, oh, that's just ridiculous. Stop that. I love Rambo and I think he's got better since he's playing with Cristiano Ronaldo and that's fair enough. Okay. I, like, I like the attack though, Amy. I think they've got some good players in there. What you got? Okay, so the, the, the uh, uh, I went for Aubameyang as the actual main striker and then just behind him sort of... Th- Three guys who, who at times I think have been real status symbols for for Arsenal, and I thought Van Persie was magnificent when he was at Arsenal, and the fact that he left on a difficult note, I I can overlook that. Alexis Sanchez, likewise, if you actually sat and watched a video of his his time at Arsenal, he was a phenomenon, and Meza Özil um, might not be uh, Emery's uh, favourite, but uh, I think that uh, in terms of what he brought to the club and at his best. Is still a, a, you know, an outrageously sublime footballer. Any other contenders, by the Thierry way? Thierry Henry. It was when he made his comeback. The lone He's spell. been and gone. If we're talking about just this decade. We're talking about a tiny, weeny period of time. Was the Leeds game? That in, was in the Leeds game. game. Yes. I put him in for that. Alone. Well, this is. I mean, it was tempting. It was. It was a Bamiang or or Omri for a handful like, of games. Yeah. And we were also going to do the worst team of the decade, weren't we? But should we just choose Saturdays? <laughs> 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 just take a Bamiang is in the best and worst team. I like the fact that it's you've a chosen team. no no but the fact that you've chosen the best team of the decade which lacks a holding midfield player this is so beautifully it Arsenal it's the Arsenal identity guys <laughs> this is what we want from an Arsenal team great going forward fragile in defence yeah and and as for worst team of the decade you have a list of worst team of the actually. decade I mean I just just had a quick look earlier today there's some outstanding names um, well the back four really is is special I I, I mean. I chose Almunia in goal, but it could have been sort of uh, anyone. Lishtina, Squilacci, Silvestra, Andre Santos. How's that for size? (laughs) Midfield, who did you got? Well, uh, I went for Danielson, mostly because I just really, really liked it. when. um, Remember when there was a point where they tried to do what they did in Europe and the PA announcer would say the first name of someone and then the crowd would say the rest. And he used to go, Daniel! And there'd be this little bit of a pause and people would go, Son! Yeah, it's a bit um, weird. But it, he was all right, but he never quite was as good as how he was supposed to be. Um, I put Joel Campbell in and Mkhitaryan. Yeah. I know these are a bit controversial, but Mkhitaryan no. just drove me mad. And, I, you know, you'd want to so much more from him. Mm. And Joel Campbell had little flashes, but considering the efforts that we made to sign him, it was just such a weird sort of waste of a player. Didn't work, did it? And then up front is where we get the real quality again. Park, your, your uh, South Korea shirt, uh, really earning its value. Sonogo and um, uh, I don't know if you... Are we allowed to pick someone who hasn't actually played for Arsenal? Yes. 
uh, Takuma Asano, <laughs> signed for nearly £4 million in 2016 um, and, you know, never played a game. Right, we've got to go in a minute. Uh, before we do, we're going to suggest a tune for the, the current debacle, I suppose we can call it, <laughs> that is happening. I suggest it all by myself, right? the Eric Carmen hit of the 80s. Uh, for Unai Emery, because I can't imagine he's got many friends. Uh, but you had a better one than that, Amy. Uh, well, I've got to credit uh, our producer, Tayo, for this one. Uh, Public Enemy, Bring the Noise. There's been words about noise being part of the problem. I think we need plenty of it. I'd rather Public Enemy than Slade. Come on, feel the noise. So, yeah, we'll go with Public Enemy, definitely. <laughs> Here we go again. That's it for the first episode. Thank you to Lee Dixon from Down the Line, Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Thanks, guys. Cheers. And producer Tyo, this podcast uh, is one of 11 shows being launched by The Athletic this week. Among those is the Ornstein and Chapman Show, where Mark Chapman and David Ornstein delve deep into some of football's biggest stories. To hear this show and many more, don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com now and use the promo code UKPOD for a 40% discount our show will also be available for free at all the usual podcast providers thanks for listening we'll see you next week 